is Prayer Amid Pandemic, a podcast to encourage and sharpen the church through telling stories of Christians whose faith were shaped by sickness and by praying with fellow believers around the world. I'm Morgan Lee. Much of Catherine of Siena's life was defined by sickness and plagues. The future saint was born in 1347. The next year, the Black Death began, an epidemic that killed more than 20 million people over the next five years. Despite growing up surrounded by death, Catherine was unafraid. When a plague struck again less than two decades later, the 20-something convinced her followers to stay and serve the sick. Catherine was relentless in her work. According to historian Philip Schaefe, she day and night healed those of whom the physicians despaired, and she even raised the dead. She was born uh, right around the time that this epidemic started, and then um, it uh, continued on for centuries. Um, many people uh, uh, don't realize that, that this um, was an, an epidemic that continued. So in, in, in Catherine's own life, there were several recurrences of the plague, and everyone knew that they were living under this kind of sword of Damocles or this threat. Karen Scott is Associate Professor of History and Catholic Studies at DePaul University. Her scholarly focus is on the letters and other writings dictated by St. Catherine of Siena. And one interesting thing is the, the word in Italian that was used to describe the plague was mortalità, mortality. Um, so that the word meant, you know, the same um, meaning that it has for us today, that, that humans are mortal. It's part of our human condition. But um, they just uh, broadened it to mean uh, the plague was the symbol of our mortality, and it was a given of everyday life uh, for everybody. So under those sorts of circumstances, um, it obviously affects one's faith life and one's prayer life, as we are now experiencing today in, in uh, the U United States and the world. So I'm really curious about how the plague changed how people related to each other and trusted each other. Right. Well, so it was very, very contagious. So they didn't know what we know about modern medicine, but they could tell that if you were around other people who had the plague, um, you were likely to catch it. And so, of course, we know that um, people... Uh, uh, quarantined themselves, they isolated themselves in their homes, they didn't go out. Uh, there are stories of, uh, you know, piles of dead people just accumulating and uh, people with uh, serious needs not being taken care of in the, all the usual ways. Uh, we know that uh, the members of religious orders who took care of poor people and lived in close quarters uh, were decimated uh, by the plague. So it was extremely dangerous, and um, it was therefore a big temptation to not take care of one's neighbor. Uh, it was also a big temptation to fear that this was a punishment from God, and, and therefore... Um, you know, God was angry. And uh, some of the big emphases of Catherine of Siena's uh, doctrinal teaching and spiritual experience have to do with her reasserting both that God loves us, that God is merciful, the, God, the, the gospel message at its essence, and that that is what um, 
Christ's message is for us, and at the same time to repeat the importance of loving one's neighbor in all sorts of concrete ways. Um, and, you know, she didn't want people to go off and, and put themselves in danger needlessly. There's one of her letters in which she advises um, a, a couple of priest friends of hers who were in a city that had uh, gotten the plague that they should get out of there. Um, she didn't want them to endanger themselves needlessly. Um, but at the same time, she wanted people to be discerning and um, look for ways to help their neighbors. You know, that does require trust. It's a great question you asked. It requires trust in God and trust in other people. Well, let's talk about Catherine in particular. What do we know about her upbringing? Right. So um, she was uh, the daughter of a dyer, that is a sort of middle to lower middle class uh, shopkeeper who had a small shop in uh, Siena, the town in Tuscany um, that they were from. It's a, it's a town today about an hour away by bus from uh, Florence. She was the youngest daughter of a very large family. Um, there may have been up to 22 or 24 daughter uh, children, rather, in this family. She was the youngest, and she grew up as a very pious uh, young young girl. Her family, when she turned adolescent, wanted to marry her off, and she decided to devote her life to prayer and to God. Um, eventually, they let her do that uh, after some disagreements on the subject. And she, she lived in her little room in her house under the stairway for uh, three or four years as a kind of uh, hermit or um, a contemplative prayer person um, until God called her out of her room to serve other people. So perhaps by temperament, she was a contemplative uh, hermit type. She knew all about social distancing to that extent, living with <laughs> oneself. Uh, and she talked about entering the cell of self-knowledge or the room of knowing oneself, which one can acquire if, if we spend a lot of time with ourselves. We get to know ourselves well, and we, we discover that God is present to us there. Um, and initially, she thought this was a kind of spiritual demotion to be called out by God to serve other people. But uh, she followed what she thought God was asking her to do. And then she discovered that actually uh, this was her, her calling. Um, and there are uh, some wonderful stories of the young, uh, young adult Catherine um, discovering that there were people in her neighborhood who were poor. She visited uh, poor women who were sick. And um, some of the first stories of miracles, uh, miraculous healings happened uh, there. And uh, then she got to know uh, people who served in the hospitals of Siena. Um, there were many of them some very small uh, local like hostels uh, and others uh, much larger. And uh, there is a story of her uh, healing a close friend of hers who was the rector 
of a small hospital near her home, who and he became one of her best friends, uh, understandably. <laughs> um, and then there are many stories of her going to the big uh, city hospital of Siena, which is right across the street. Still to this day, you can visit this hospital across the street from the cathedral. And uh, she went there to, she was not a doctor, she was not a trained nurse, but she had compassion on the suffering of people. And she would spend the night with uh, sick people to accompany them um, and pray with them. There's one lovely story, uh, which it may be apocryphal, this one, but that she was returning home after spending the night at the hospital. And uh, there's a stairway, that, a, a rather steep stairway, that takes you from one a level of the city to another level of the city. It's a hill town. And she's going down these stairs, and she falls and breaks a tooth. And uh, she recounted uh, afterwards that it was the devil who had pushed her down the stairs because he was so angry at all the good she was doing as she was uh, caring for the sick. Wow, those are some really amazing stories of her dedication. But well, she becomes famous later on um, when there were uh, uh, she she becomes aware of problems in the church and in uh, the situation of uh, her city was at war. Uh, along with a number of other cities um, in, in a war against the papal states. And they were put under interdict, which meant they could not have uh, the mass, they could not have um, burials, they could not. So it's a terrible situation in, in a time of plague, and we can identify with that, I think. And so she traveled to um, Avignon, the seat of the papacy at the time, as a peacemaker, trying to bring about a peace agreement between the various uh, cities of, of Italy and the papacy. Um, and that did not work out. But while she was in Avignon, she exhorted the Pope to return the seat of the papacy to Rome. Um, and that is what she's most famous for, perhaps, in that she succeeded in doing this and then returned to Italy. Um, and then she died a couple of years later, uh, after uh, a new pope had been elected and there were serious uh, uh, problems for the unity of the church at the time. And uh, she was uh, devastated about that and uh, prayed very earnestly um, for the union of the church and um, the reform of the church. So she, she dies with that uh, great concern. As Catherine begins to build relationships with people who are in these hospitals and who are sick, how does this show up in her writing? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, she doesn't specifically talk about uh, the, the plague, except in just a couple of little places, uh, like the letter I mentioned before, where she um, suggests to her priest friends that they should... Um, get out of the city that had the, the, the plague epidemic. But I would argue that her entire um, career of, of sending letters to people as a kind of lay preacher um, had a lot to do with her experience of caring for people uh, who had the plague and 
generally being aware of how precious and and fragile human life is and how God wants us to um, spend our time on earth uh, with faith and trust in him and um, helping our neighbor. Um, So I I, I would like to uh, read to you a little bit of this letter that she sent Father Bartolomeo um, who was in Pisa at the time. This is, um, for those of you who are interested, it's letter 70. Um, and she sent it in uh, 1374, so maybe six or seven years uh, before she died. Um, but this is, she's at the height of her spiritual endeavor to sort of convey God's message to as many people as possible. And one of the ways she did that, uh, she, she preferred direct speech to people, just uh, you know, giving spiritual advice. But when she couldn't be with people, she sent them letters. Um, and she, she was totally or maybe functionally illiterate, but she could dictate letters that reflected her, her teaching. She starts the letter by saying, I'm longing to see you be transformed and united in your desire for God. And she she says, the the mouth of truth has said, that is God, uh, uh, God, I am fire and you are the sparks. So God is our, is the fire that inspires and warms us. And we are like little, little sparks coming out of God. But our job is to bring warmth and love uh, to, to other people um, out of the big fire, which is God. Uh, part of the letter, um, she is um, asking her uh, uh, friend to open wide, open wide your soul, to embrace your neighbor in love. But I don't see how we can have such desire and love unless our eyes are turned to the tree of life. Um, And this is obviously an uh, an image referring to the cross. Uh, Christ on the cross is the image of human mortality and human hope and redemption at the same time, right? So then she kind of prays uh, uh, to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, gentlest love. You have said, do you want an incentive to work for my glory and the salvation of other people? Do you want the strength to endure every trial with patience? Then look at me, the lamb slain on the cross for you, my blood totally drained from head to foot. I pay no attention to your foolishness, nor does your ingratitude deter me from working out your salvation. For I am like one crazed and transformed by my hunger for you. So her message is, remember that Jesus loves you to that extent, and that same love will then help you to endure all the trials of life that you are enduring right now. Um, And she was writing to uh, a preacher who was um, facing the epidemic of the plague. And so she recommends that he focus his attention on the cross and on the love of God that it um, that Christ's blood manifests to everyone. 
Um, and this interests me a lot because um, we often think that medieval people were simply uh, focused on uh, God's vengeance and punishment and the plague is a punishment for sin. And, and Catherine um, goes in a different direction. Uh, she sees the plague as an opportunity for us to manifest God's love to the world. That is our job, to um, be conduits of God's love to the world, and a world that needs to hear uh, that God loves us indeed. Here's the latest coronavirus news in the world and church for the week of May 18th. Christian, Muslim, and Jewish bioethicists in Argentina have come together to create a document outlining shared principles that they believe should inform how medical decisions are made regarding patient care during the pandemic. The great monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, we share a common vision of being human and the rights and obligations that come with being human, they write in the opening of the document. This is why we've decided to make this joint declaration in a way that will be a support in these times of pandemic and uncertainty, that will be for everyone that shares our view, that will be for everyone of goodwill that wants to open a dialogue. An Australian pastor has organized gangs outside of Cape Town, South Africa to deliver food to the poor who have lost their income due to COVID-19. As soon as these guys were given an opportunity to do something good, they grab the opportunity with both hands and are just wringing it for everything they can. Andy Steele Smith, the minister behind the efforts, told the Associated Press. Christians and Muslims in Nigeria have protested their government's decision to close down religious spaces. For some, their frustration is aimed at the discrepancy between outdoor markets, which have stayed open, and churches and mosques, which are closed. For others, it's theological, reports Deutsche Welle. The church is God's banquet hall where we are all fed with spiritual food to keep us alive and strong. So whatever stops the church from fellowshipping is out to destroy what God is building, said David Oyedepo, the founder of Living Faith Church, one of the largest megachurches in Nigeria. For more coverage on how the church is responding to coronavirus, please visit the link to Christianity Today's latest coverage in our show notes. Because of the global nature of this crisis, we believe it's important to hear from our sisters and brothers in Christ from around the world. I'm Thir Koirala from Nepal, working as a national coordinator with MICA Nepal. Heavenly Father, I come before you to pray for our current pandemic crisis. All over the world, people are suffering from the COVID-19 situation. But, O oh Lord, you are sovereign and in control. You are God who makes all things possible. So I look to you alone to help turn around the situation, to protect and save us from this pandemic. We place our hope and trust in you alone. Father God, heal them who are suffering from the virus and help all those who are affected due to loss of livelihood, business that are sought, many that are in need of food and shelter. Lord, please provide for their need. I pray for medical doctors, nurses, and others who are serving as the frontliner against COVID-19. I pray also for the police, army, security personnel, and those who are working in high-risk areas to protect their nation. Due to the lockdown, many people are going through financial and other difficulties. We lift off our country, Nepal, to you. Oh Lord, please continue to protect this country. 
I ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Prayer Amid Pandemic is produced by myself, Morgan Lee, along with Matt Linder, Mike Cosper, and Eric Petrick. Please help us spread the word about Prayer Amid Pandemic by sharing about it on social media or recommending it to your friends. The best way for you to help, though, is by rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. If you have feedback, please send us an email at podcast at christianitytoday.com or on Twitter at CT Podcasts. We'll see you soon.